So please ignore the random bird chirping in the background. Uh, I totally didn't hear it until I put headphones on and sat down to record a show. So uh, please just <laughs> ignore it. Uh, this is the Zach Clay Show, Episode 2, um, second episode of the year of 2018. Uh, the first episode was January 6th, I think. Um, so it's been a while. Uh, today is July 13th, Friday the 13th, and uh, I finally sat down to record a show. Part of the reason that I hadn't recorded a show is um, if you listen to that first episode, which I hope you don't, um, it's kind of aimless, I would say. Uh, it's pretty much, um, it was me uh, lying on my bed for some reason totally nervous to record a show uh, and then rambling about stuff, which I guess it would be okay. It's kind of a stream of consciousness thing, and it's what I was going for if you listen to that. Uh, but it, I, I felt it was pretty self-indulgent. So <clears throat> I am considering this the redux to the podcast, uh, the <laughs> reboot of the from the first show that I did. Uh, really, like I said, it was the first episode was unlistenable, self-indulgent, and it's self and somehow. Having it as a stream of consciousness felt more restrictive than what I'm wanting to do now. So, um, and if you're watching the video, excuse the uh, sweat dripping down my brow. I turned off all the air conditioners in my home uh, in the hopes that the audio would be better because of it. Uh, but it is July in Texas and it is hot. So, what do I want to do with the show? Uh, I kept toying with ideas of maybe I should do a show about uh, RPGs or gaming or something like that. And then I'll have this show where I'm uh, doing my opinions on things or maybe a personal journal thing. And then I just kept dissecting what I wanted to do so much that uh, it turned out I just didn't do anything. Um, so now that I'm redoing this, now that I'm starting over, I'm starting from scratch, I'm not putting any uh, self-imposed things about... Uh, it has to be this long or it has to be um, about a set topic. It's going to be about what I want to talk about. What I do want to talk about a lot is um, RPGs, uh, tabletop gaming some, like board games, things like that. Maybe a little bit of uh, video gaming in there. Um, I also want to talk about like culture stuff, media stuff, just basically whatever I'm into. Uh, but I got to say, right now, I think, been lean pretty RPG heavy because it's something I'm really into. I went through a time of uh, where I wasn't playing. Now I've got a group again playing Fifth Edition D and D, um, and it's kind of sparked sparked my interest back in that. Uh, there's other things um, that I'm wanting to do, talk about like just random creative pursuits that I'm wanting to do. Uh, you know, I do want to do the personal journal thing, but maybe it's not going to be that big of a portion of the show. Uh, another thing that I'm, I've decided to do is to record this with video and audio and to cut the segments up, kind of like if you've ever seen uh, the CU podcast uh, that Pat Country puts out or anything like that. He puts out these segments uh, where he talks about the um, his different things, you know, different topics. Uh, so that's what we'll be doing. Um, and in the hopes to get it into all the feeds where people can uh, hear it, see it, whatever. And one of the things that you will read or encounter if you're talking about doing podcasting 
or if you're uh, thinking about doing a YouTube channel, so people always say that you need to uh, grab a niche. Um, that's part of what was paralyzing me for a while is I was kind of uh, wanting to talk about all these different things and there's no, um, there's no, there's no, I don't have a specific passion to go into this certain niche or that certain niche or just to go head in on something um, because I want to go everywhere. I'm kind of a jack of all trades kind of guy. Um, so that was kind of, um, that was kind of limiting, I would say, uh, to think that you have to go through all these different um, avenues. Um, I'm not interested in, I guess, putting myself in niches or uh, having a show dedicated to one certain thing. Um, I'm sure that I will get people listening to this or watching this that are interested in a lot of the same things that I'm interested in. Maybe they won't watch some of the things. Maybe they'll skip through parts of the podcast, but whatever. Uh, if you're listening to this, I'm very glad that you're along for the ride. Uh, if you're watching this, thank you for watching it. Um, but let's hop into uh, some of the other topics I want to talk about today. So if you are a Redditor, there is a Reddit uh, that I subscribe to. <clears throat> and I don't remember how I found it. Probably it was on the front page or on Our Popular, Our All, or something like that. Uh, it is Late Stage Capitalism. Uh which is very socialist leaning, um, and I would say even communist leaning in some regards. Um, now I'm not um, saying that capitalism is the be all end all or that communism is some boogeyman. I do have my personal opinions on it, but I can be swayed and I'm willing to talk about it. Um, but reading this, um, this subreddit just kind of like drives me insane, but I keep going back. I think there's a lot of good memes on there, um, some funny stuff, um, some different things that uh, I've come to agree with. As far as politically, uh, I would say that probably when I was a young adult, uh, fresh out of high school, uh, in 2004, actually I know I voted for John Kerry, uh, the Democratic uh, candidate who lost, and then from the until the 2008 election, kind of got into libertarianism, and that was where I was in my whole, uh, probably for most of my 20s, uh, I was a, I considered myself a libertarian. I voted libertarian a few times. I think for the last um, Texas governor's race, I probably voted libertarian. I can't remember. Uh, I voted libertarian in the uh, 2016 election, which was more of a protest vote than anything else. Uh, because I didn't care for the main party candidates. But since that election, and since we're living in Trump's America, uh, I think I have, I would say I'm probably a born-again socialist. Um, I am not, uh, I'm definitely not conservative in the, uh, I'm not socially conservative. Uh, I may be in my personal life, but not as far as policy goes. Uh, and I would say for a long time I was pretty fiscally conservative, uh, not into funding welfare uh, or you know things like that, food stamps, Medicaid, things like that. I was just against based, you know, basically because I had bitten into the uh, 
seductive fruit of libertarianism. And on its face value, I think it shares a lot of uh, things in common with uh, with communism, with people who who uh, adhere to that ideal, is that it it uh, it takes certain conditions and it assumes that people are going to act in rational ways um, that is you know, both sides both sides think that people will um, people will act in a way that um, I'm not sure I'm sure, not sure how I'm trying to word this people will act in a way that's in their own best interest and if you talk to a libertarian, then they'll say that acting in your own best interest is also acting in a way that is in everyone's best interest because you're willing to cooperate. And if you don't cooperate, you'll, you might get ostracized. You might get, uh, you might get, um, you might not be able to, uh, deal with people to do business with people because they have banned you from their establishments. You might be able to, um, you know, you won't, um, it's it just really goes into these ideals of um people acting rationally. You go down, go down the communist side, people are are just assuming you're gonna act rationally, right? They're assuming that you're going to um have everyone's best interest in mind. Um and that includes your own, because if you're giving to a if you're giving to a community pot, uh then you are um, going to be taking care of yourself that same way. Uh, unfortunately, as you see, as you become, uh, if you pay attention to politics, if you pay attention to anything, power just corrupts. Doesn't matter what party you are, there is no, um, there is no zealous uh, communist or libertarian or, um, you know, whatever other far fringe faction you want to consider that is in office uh, that uh, actually does hold those ideals that actually does consider everyone else uh, first um, that's not solely about their personal gain uh, unfortunately I don't I, maybe there is maybe there are politicians who are uh, think about the people I have yet to encounter one um, so back to the uh, late stage capitalism uh, they they lean pretty socialist, and it's where I'm I am now. Uh, I and not that I think that socialism works best, uh, but I think that it's kind of a uh, means to an end. Uh, I think that it works. Uh, it works for other countries. It works for uh, taking care of people who are marginalized, who are uh, not. Um, able to care for themselves I think it's the best way to make sure they're taken care of um, certainly American capitalism does not do that um, if you're back to being a libertarian that just expects the you'll just expect charity to take care of these people well they don't there are plenty of charities there's plenty of, there's churches on every street corner here in Texas they don't take care of people and especially if you have that conservative ideal of well, they should just go get a job. Well, they should just, um, you know, fend for themselves. Uh, that's not 
there's there's no love in that I don't think there's no um caring for people uh there's no i've I've come to where I think that help should be no strings attached. maybe that's just me back to our late stage capitalism um, I can't stop reading it <clears throat> uh, even though it <laughs> they drive me up the wall sometimes um I, I understand that we're in this place in America where capitalism uh, and corporations, things like that, have gotten, uh, it seems like they've gotten out of hand. They have usurped a lot of power. There's a lot of power given to them, and it goes pretty much unchecked. But is that a symptom of capitalism, or is that a symptom of cronyism and uh, payoffs? Is that is that really capitalism, or is that some kind of weird American hybrid thing? Um, and if capitalism, capitalism is a bad thing, what is the alternative? Uh, because, and people will say that in that China's not wasn't real capitalism. I, I agree, it was kind of a bastardized thing. But let's talk about the USSR or Russia uh, and the Opal. The Opal was a uh, car they made. I, I believe it was an Opal. Maybe it was. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. But the Russian-made car, the communist car, the uh, car that was made by the people for the people was trash. Uh, there was no no denying it. it. They broke down all the time. They were just garbage. Um, I think that when you're removing incentives for people, it is hard for, um, for there to be innovation or, or really an incentive to, uh, to, to work harder to please someone because there's no... Uh, I don't think there's an in, there are some incentives, but I think a major incentive for people is making their lives better, making their lives more comfortable, uh, taking care of their children, their families, things like that. And if you can't earn more, why would you even try? Socialism to me uh, seems like it's the the best alternative, um, simply because. There still is an incentive there to to make more money. Sure, more of your money is taken, but you can still make a lot more. Uh, even if you're a millionaire or a billionaire, multimillionaire, and half your money is taken, you're not hurting that bad. I understand you earned it. I understand that, but um, that's <laughs> to me. I pay. We all got to pay taxes. That's just the way it is. Whatever. I'm not trying to get into tax talk here, but I want to talk about. Um, Something that was posted on that subreddit. It was a tweet by uh, Avery Addison, which is uh, at A. Addison on Twitter. And here, I'm just going to read it off here. <clears throat> Billionaire should be a slur, as it's a effing shameful thing to be. Vast wealth is immoral, and capitalism is a cancer on society. Nobody should have things they want while anybody goes without things they need especially if they want if what they want is to send a car into space which i guess is referring to um the uh tesla guy who sent something in space wasn't it the tesla guy bezos was it bezos was it elon musk it's one of them one of them did i think it's elon musk one of them sent a uh, car into space the spacex guy elon musk um sent a rocket into space but it should billionaire be a slur um 
should that be something should that be something shameful if you worked super hard if you made an achievement i mean granted no one makes a billion dollars by themselves uh, no one period there's people that helped you uh there's people that you paid you had employees uh, but at the end of the day the risk was yours right um you took the risk you built the uh the wealth um and I believe that Elon Musk has signed the uh, it's a pledge to give away half of his wealth, uh, the same one that uh, Bill Gates and someone else, another billionaire, had signed. Um, so these people do uh, do philanthropic things, um, and if they want to do something centric, or if uh, they want to send a car to space, which I believe it was a test for the rocket, it was. Sure, it was a publicity stunt, but it was also a, a actual test for the rocket. Um, shouldn't they be able to? Um, and I think that when you're reading this tweet, <clears throat> there is something, uh, it rings a little hypocritical, right? Uh, because a billionaire should have to give away their stuff. A billionaire should have to give away their stuff. You shouldn't. Um, this person who... Uh, probably typed this from a laptop, maybe an iPhone, um, shouldn't have to give away their things. I mean, this is right here, iPhone 6, a little old, uh, but it still has um, a remarkable amount of technology in it, and it was, it's expensive. Uh, it was uh, $700, I think. Uh, what, an iPhone X now is $1,000. Um, why do we have the internet at all? Um, I, you can go to the public library. Was this? I don't. I don't believe Avery Edison, <laughs> Edison uh, went to the public library to um, to do this. Uh, we all uh, work for luxuries, and if you wanted to make more money, there are avenues to do it. Um, if you want to look, I'm not going to go crazy and say if you want to be a billionaire, you can do it. <clears throat> However, if you want to put in hours, you can pick a field where you can make a lot more money. Um, that is open to most people. Uh, there is no, I don't think that there is a, um, there is anything immoral about being a billionaire. How, how much in taxes did Elon Musk pay? How much in taxes did uh, Bill Gates pay? How many people do they employ? Uh, there's nothing immoral about about um, amassing wealth. I don't think there's anything immoral about asking for uh, higher taxes for those people either. I, there's there's not. Period. It's not wrong. Um, though, when you are a billionaire, a millionaire, you um, you're still putting a uh, strain on public systems, roads. Um, uh, communications, um, you you are using more than the average person, so you should be um, taxed higher. There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I don't think there's anything, shame, like I said, there's nothing shameful in that. Um, another thing that has come up is on the late-stage capitalism Twitter, as well as, um, I mean, the late-stage capitalism subreddit, is uh, this Kendall Jenner thing, uh, which I think is, it's pretty funny. Uh, and I think a lot of people have some good um, um, comebacks to it. If you don't know, she's on the cover of Forbes as uh, uh, 
self-made billionaire. So Kendall Jenner, Kendall Jenner is a uh, self-made cosmetics billionaire, according to Forbes. And uh, this rings so hollow and untrue to say that Kendall Jenner, a person who was on a reality show, uh, who had nothing to do with that, it just she happened to be there. She happened to be uh, in uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Um, you know, there was no. Um, Nothing specifically she did. She she got a giant uh, <laughs> a giant push forward. A lot of people saying that uh, if you want to be a billionaire, be born on third base. Uh, some people are saying be, you were she was born with her foot on one foot on home plate already. Um, and I think it's true. It's the same thing as uh, Donald Trump's small loan of a million dollars. It's so it's so hollow and to just um, uh, to to. To act like anyone who's a billionaire, let alone Kendall Jenner, um, did it by themselves, that made it themselves, is absolutely silly. It is totally silly. Um, so that's that's just my rant on uh, being stuck in a uh, country where the dollar is king and, um, you know, if you're a billionaire, you're either a bad guy or a good guy, depending on uh, if you're uh, uh, depending on who's who's judging you. Uh, I don't think it's it's immoral, uh, but that's pretty much all I got to say about that. Okay, moving on. Uh, I also want to talk about Lost in Space on um, Netflix. That's a reboot of the uh, old sci-fi show, um, and it had some failed failed movies. There's one or two, I think. Um, but this, uh, this version of Lost in Space is awesome. Um, I liked the old version with the, uh, uh, Danger Will Robinson robot and, uh, Dr. Smith and everything, uh, in the old school version. There's something very, uh, cool about that. I like that show. Um, but this is definitely a different feeling. It's much more serious. Um, it's very, very well uh, written, very well acted. Uh, it's very cinematic. Uh, it is awesome. I hope they're making a season two. I'm still getting through season one right now because uh, I watch it with my kids. Uh, but um, uh, it, it's awesome. And that, that's the thing about it. I have a uh, uh, 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, and they can definitely watch the show. Uh, it is a little intense, but um, there's no uh, cursing, at least very, very, very mild uh, cursing when it when it does happen. Uh, like I said, pretty intense, but it's very family friendly. Um, so one of the things about this uh, that I like about this reboot is the way they did um, Dr. Smith. If you remember, Dr. Smith in the original was like super creepy guy. Um, in the reboot, it's Parker Posey, and Parker Posey is, is totally awesome. Uh, and they just reworked this entire thing. Uh, I don't remember if Dr. Smith was a psychologist in the original one, uh, but this Dr. Smith is a psychologist in quotes. Um, she is actually a stowaway on the ship, um, and she assumed the identity of a uh, of a psychologist, uh, a Dr. Smith who was killed whenever the uh, whenever the ships uh, separated from their mothership or whatever. Uh, so she's living like this um, this double life on the ground, 
she's she's basically a con woman, um, and it, she is just awesome. I can't imagine anyone else doing this role and doing it as much justice as, as Parker Posey has. Uh, she's totally awesome. The other thing is the robot. <clears throat> the robot is um, much saying it saying it's believable is uh, a little bit of a stretch, but uh, makes a lot more sense now. Um, he's he's super badass uh, as compared to the old robot, which was kind of a bumbling idiot. Uh, this uh, robot is way more badass. Uh, he's kind of a um, how would you say he's an alien, right? He's they they did not he didn't come on the ship. He was an alien that Will found and uh, put back together, and um, and so. Because of that, the robot is just like fiercely loyal to him, um, and it's just it's awesome. It, I don't want to give any any spoilers away, but I love that the way they have introduced these things. And they give the kids have reasons to be there. Uh, they all have jobs that they were assigned before they um, took off into space. They're going out to colonize uh, because of something going on back on Earth. Um, so they, the whole family is headed out to colonize. There's a lot of tension there, a lot of stuff between the uh, parents. It, it's, it's just awesome. I can't uh, stress enough how awesome um, the, the new Lost in Space is. So it got me thinking about, um, it got me thinking about different ways to game uh, Lost in Space. Um, so I had been thinking a lot about environments and uh, how they affect gaming. So just to start off with, if you're going to uh, game Lost in Space, you'd, it'd probably be a story game. Uh, everyone has a motivation. They have ties with other people who are who are stranded there. They have um, most of most of the characters have a secret uh, that they're hiding, and um, so it'd, it'd probably fit better with a story game like Fate, maybe. Um, or um, I can't think of anything else at this time, <laughs> off the top of my head. But I think Fate would work pretty well if you were doing a Lost in Space game. Um, so everyone, like I said, they have a tie to everyone else, and they all have a secret. Um, so minor spoilers here if you haven't seen the seen the show. But um, the um, the mom, uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, is. Uh, uh, bribed someone to get Will on the ship because he failed his test, and he was the only member of the family that failed. So, without bribing someone to uh, to change that, then Will wouldn't be there. Uh, that's kind of a minor spoiler, but everyone has a, has a secret like that. Like Doctor Smith, Doctor Smith's secret is that she's not Doctor Smith. Uh, she's a, a confidence woman, and she is trying to um, play everybody, and she does it pretty well. Uh, Another thing that you that you need to focus on if you're doing this is really the man versus nature aspect of the Lost in Space reboot. Uh, so you have um, several ships, uh, colonists, land on a hostile planet. I, I guess not hostile. It, it's livable, but it's uh, there's new stuff going on all the time, right? There's new animals. Uh, you know, it's very frontier-like. Uh, because you're dealing with stuff, there's no there's no cavalry coming. Uh, you all the, you are the cavalry, um, so you have um, seismic uh, things going off. You know geysers sprouting up. You have uh, 
I mean, basically monsters <laughs> running at you, uh, animals that you have no idea of what they do. Uh, and that can, and I, this wasn't in the show, but you have, you can do things like insects. Uh, you don't know what insects are poisonous. Uh, the, uh, you don't know what kind of parasites might be there. Uh, disease could be a, uh, a factor in, in, if you were doing a story in there, uh, I'm sure there's plenty of microbes that, uh, can cause illness on this ran random planet in space. Um, you also have just basically uh, w where did you land? Uh, in the first episode, they land on a glacier and the ship starts sinking. Um, it is uh, the, the environment is definitely their enemy on this show. Uh, even more so than than each other. Even though some some people are adversarial, uh, and the robot is definitely a wild card, being an alien, um, there is a certain amount of uh, uh, adversarial stuff between people. But it's mostly uh, between the planet and uh, the the colonists. Um, the uh, the other thing that I would say is that would be key to this would be hard choices. So like I said, there's no real adversarial things, but there are people do have their own motivations. So if you've seen the show, uh, you have um, some uh, some choices like Dr. Smith and uh, Will Robinson get into it a few times. Um, and he will, of course, is very easily manipulated because he's the youngest child. And um, and Dr. Smith is a is a con woman. She's She's able to convince him to do all sorts of random crap. Um, so that you'd have challenges there, challenges of uh, uh, just basically trying to make the right choice, uh, trying to decide what's right. And you're if you're playing a kid surrounded by adults, uh, there is a certain amount of um, uh, trust that you would give them. If you were actually role-playing this, if you're with a group that actually wanted to role-play this, you would give more credence to what adults say. Uh, and... Dr. Smith is very convincing. Uh, the, some other choices you have, there's a scene where um, someone is trapped under uh, a fuel tank, and the fuel tank has a uh, rock in it, and they can either pull this person out uh, and try to save them and lose the fuel, or they can leave them where that where he's at to pump the fuel out. Um, and there's a, there's a big, there's a there's a clash right there between those two pe between those two characters. I believe it's uh, Victor and Angela, if you've seen the show. Um, Angela being a doctor who's trying to save a guy's life, and Victor trying to save everyone else's life by keeping the fuel on there. Um, and basically, Dr. Smith versus anybody. <laughs> Dr. Smith is uh, probably the, the biggest uh, heel in the show. Oh, my goodness. Sorry about that phone ring. Uh, so what I was saying... Uh, if you have a uh, Dr. Smith versus everybody, uh, she she is trying to convince everybody that um, uh, to to basically bend to her will. She uh, it is very hard to talk about this without giving spoilers, but she basically is is in in it for her own survival, and she's able to convince people uh, that she is um, she is always on the right side. It, it doesn't matter how many times she has screwed people over. She is all she is so good at convincing people. So those are definitely, uh, if if I was playing this, if I was doing a, a a story game with this, those are those are the exact things I would work into it. Uh, you have 
the environmental dangers, uh, you know, man versus nature, man versus the the uh, beast, uh, and then the hard choices that that would be between characters, hard choices of trying to decide what to um, what what decision to make. And and if you were the GMing this, I would say punishing people for sometimes uh, following their gut. Um, but if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's it's on Netflix. You have a Netflix account, don't you? Someone you know does. So check it out. You can you will not want to stop watching it. It's very hard to stop watching it whenever uh, it's bedtime in my house. Uh, but yeah, watch it. Grab your uh, fate uh, fate book and fate dice and get a group together and do a uh, colonist mission. The last thing I want to talk about on today's show is um, using environment in RPG. This kind of ties back to the uh, Lost in Space uh, topic. But um, like I said at the top of the show, I started uh, playing a 5th um, edition D&D game where I set it in Eberron. Uh, and one of my design goals when playing this is to try to bring in uh, a lot of environmental factors. So in our first adventure, um, I had them had the party exploring a cave. And uh, it started with a cave, and it's dry, except in the first chamber there's a puddle on the floor. Um, and, I, and if you know Eberron lore, um, they started in New Sire, so they're just north of New Sire. South of New Sire is a mountain range. So if there is a storm going on on the mountain range, it might not be going on around them. Uh, but the um, fluvial, uh, is that the right word? Fluvial. Uh, plain would be uh, would be swelling. The rivers would be swelling. Streams would be swelling. So my idea was uh, they smell the rain. They see it in the distance when they're going in this cave, and there's water in there, but there's there's nothing flowing. But as they're exploring the cave, the water starts to come in. Um, and so I'm trying. To, I'm setting up like a flash flood scenario, uh, which they picked up on it. They figured it out. I, I think it was pretty fun, and it, they're making a lot of choices of whether to stay in the cave to, to find out what's going on in there to get out before it floods. Um, that was the, um, the, the first thing I tried. And I think it, I think it worked pretty well. I think it worked in putting a sense of urgency in the player's mind. Um, it helped in, um, just making it different. Instead of just a stupid cave, it's a stupid cave that's flooding. <laughs> it's a stupid cave that has a, uh, has this environmental thing. And maybe you can wait until the uh, the cave is no longer flooded to go explore it again. Uh, maybe you're missing out on something by uh, by not doing it now. Maybe there's going to be a uh, uh, something washed away by the flash flood. Um, but I thought that I thought that was a, a really interesting interesting thing interesting thing to do. It's the first time I've ever used weather uh, like that in a game. I plan on doing it again. I'll keep you guys updated on that. Uh, the other thing I did was. Um, the the big bad for the first uh, for the first uh, adventure was a uh, aberrant dragon marks guy uh, who could control fire totally made up totally not from the book just uh, took dragon marks and ran with it <clears throat> so if you know uh, in Eberron, aberrant dragon marks are usually looked at as, as evil um, but um, these guys don't know that uh, this this was their first taste of uh, of a uh, dragon mark. So what I did is I set his lair below a beehive, uh, and it was a, I guess you would call it like a bee house. You know how if a beekeeper has a bee house for bees to go in, 
Uh, this was a bee house, but it was for giant bees. And um, to get to his lair, you have to crawl under it where you're exposed to the, uh, the beehive. So um, that's kind of part one of my uh, master plan. Get them, go in, go into the beehive, right? Um, you're trying to be silent, but at the end of this, there's a uh, chamber with a campfire, and out of it springs a uh, aberrant jack dragon mark guy who is uh, ready to blow fire um, and piss off some bees. So they start fighting with this guy, uh, and he is... I tried to make him badass for level one guys, right? So he's throwing fire. Uh, he has um, built in... Uh, he stole some uh, Orion sigils and bastardized them to make uh, battering rams that fly out of the, the sides of the... Uh, the sides of the walls, right? So you have one guy, but he is throwing fire at you. He is throwing battering rams uh, from the walls, springing out and going back in or flying to another hole on the other side. Um, and then you have some pissed off bees that start coming down the hall. Uh, and when I did this, when I decided, okay, we're going to have bees, uh, there has to be a way to get rid of bees because you can't, can't fight a swarm of giant bees. Five first-level characters and a uh, aberrant dragon mark guy. They're not going to fight bees. So this guy lives under the bees. What does he do when the bees get pissed off? So bees swarm for a few rounds, but he can extinguish flames and create smoke to smoke them out to make them leave. Um, so these are considerations I was, t I was thinking about whenever I was making the, uh, the encounter, and I think it made it really, um, made it a lot more epic, right? Uh, a bee came, stings somebody, <laughs> dies, because it's a bee, um, and the other bees are coming, but before um, they can get anybody else, the they get smoked out. So you're fighting, you have giant bees rushing past you to get out, uh, you have a uh, dude throwing flames still, throwing battering rams, and now your vision's obscured, obscured and so you have five guys, one guy on the floor because he's just stung by a bee and he's passed out. Uh, four other guys trying to fight a uh, aberrant dragon mark uh, fire thrower guy. Of course they got him. Um, and everyone survived and they got out. Um, but I was that, like I said, that was one of my uh, design goals in that is to make sure the environment means something. Uh, if you're going to fight somebody, it better mean something and it better have something to do with where it's happening. Uh, you, if, if, it does, if there's nothing to do with the environment, then you might as well uh, be fighting in an open field. <laughs> or, uh, you know, there's no, there's no reason to, to uh, ignore the background. And that's what has happened in my D&D games or any other game uh, for, for the whole time. There's no, no, uh, it's, it's basically the backstage to a Street Fighter uh, fight. There's nothing going on. Maybe there's some cover. Uh, maybe there's some stuff that you can get behind. Uh, but I'm really trying to go for, you know, like chandelier swinging and <laughs> using the environment. So I, I wrote down some things um, to uh, to try to incorporate. If you're thinking about incorporating, uh, make sure the environment is important in your games or your encounters, uh, especially when something's on the on the line. 
Uh, these are things that I would think. So if you're fighting a big bad, or even if you're fighting a bunch of little bads, um, maybe give them some layer actions. Maybe give them something they can do, something that uh, that they know about that the players wouldn't know about right off the bat. Um, maybe they go into a uh, goblin mechanic shop and they have levers everywhere to make something crash from the ceiling, an apparatus crash from the ceiling, or they have uh, traps set in the walls that uh, that they can set off. Um, the flame guy has uh, battering rams that he can throw out with his pyrokinesis or whatever. Uh, I know that doesn't make that much sense, but it's my D&D game. Um, maybe um, you're in somewhere that's on the floodplain, uh, or there's an um, aquifer under it, and uh, oh, this phone. phone rang again. Uh, so maybe you're somewhere uh, that is on a floodplain or a, on an aquifer, and you have someone who... Uh, maybe they're able to control water. They can draw water up uh, from the bottom. Um, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, you don't have to pick the spells from the book, guys. You can make up your own spells. You can give someone a specific power. Um, make up an artifact that where they can control something specific to that uh, location. Maybe they're a guardian of a crypt, and uh, they can wear an amulet, and uh, the crypt responds to them. Uh, layer actions I think are awesome. I think they can be overused and they can be kind of OP. Make sure you balance them. Uh, weather, like I said, uh, flash floods, uh, wind, um, dust storms obscuring the view. Um, things like that are are great to uh, to put in your game to just give it some flavor, give it some local flavor. Maybe um, uh, earthquakes. Uh, Natural disasters happen, uh, and your heroes can be the guys who are the first responders, or they could be taking advantage of it. They could be uh, uh, whipping someone's ass uh, while the earthquake's going on, or while the floods, while the flood waters rise. Or they could be evacuating the orphans from the orphanage. Um, all of those are are uh, awesome ways to um, to to introduce environment. And the last thing I have written down here, like bar brawl. Um, if you if you ever see a bar brawl scene, they don't just get up and put their dukes up and start fighting. They grab chairs and uh, bust stuff over each other's heads. They uh, you know the in, the environment is um, is, uh, is is completely alive and, and everything is all 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 things off the table. Uh, grabs give someone uh, uh, if you're not going to give them extra damage for raking someone across the bar and uh, taking all the stuff off. Give give a uh, inspiration die in D&D 5th edition. Uh, give them a Benny in um, Savage World. Give them something for being badass if you're not going to give ac uh, extra uh, uh, damage. Uh, when, you, when you look cool when you're fighting, you should get a bonus for it. So always reward. Make sure you're rewarding the players for using the environment to their, uh, to their advantage. Um, But I think it it is definitely something that can uh, bring a lot more to your games. Um, so, with that, uh, that is the end of uh, Zach Clay Show, the Zach Clay Show Episode 2. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, check out uh, ZachClay.com. I've been posting blog stuff there about random things. Uh, follow me on Twitter at also Zach Clay. And... Um, yeah, just drop me a line. Uh, let me know what's going on. Uh, let me know if there's anything you want me to talk about. Let me know what you thought about the show. 
And uh, until next time, vaya con Dios.